Welcome to the Politics of Everything. I'm Amber Danes, your host and podcast producer. This is a half hour of power, a podcast dropping every week where I unpack the politics of everything, from money to motherhood, nutrition to narcissism, startups to secularism, the environment, quality, and much, much more. Our guests are seasoned in the field or topic of their choice, even if you've not heard of them yet. This is a non-partisan show. So while I love exploring varied views and get a buzz from a healthy debate of ideas, this is not a purely blue, white, green program. Please subscribe, tune in and enjoy the politics of everything. Body image is a topic rife with expectations, taboo, nuance and even debate. Nikki Parkinson is here today to discuss just that. Her career path of journalism, fashion writing and design makes her an ideal expert for this topic. And that's because at the core of everything that former journalist Nikki does in her second life as a blogger, author and now fashion designer has been aimed at helping women find their confidence through the clothes that they wear and the life they lead. The 54-year-old jumped out of her 20-year journalism career in her early 40s, became one of Australia's pioneers in blogging and then influencing way before Instagram was even a thing. Over the past decade and a bit, she's built Styling You, an organic, highly engaged community of Australian women aged 35 to 55, women who have often felt ignored by the traditional fashion industry in an era when more than ever, women in their 40s and 50s are looking for inspiration on how to dress and feel confident for their work and play lifestyles. As a blogger and influencer, Nikki has represented national and international brands, and a couple of years ago, she launched her own fashion label, Styling You The Label, offering Australian-made, non-boring wardrobe basics designed to simplify a busy woman's wardrobe. Styling You The Label is the first label globally to feature a model for every size that it stocks, making it easier than ever for women to buy clothes with confidence online. And size diversity is only the start. The label features women of different ages, heights, colours, beliefs and ability because it values women and who they are. Nikki wants women to feel seen and included when it comes to shopping for clothes that they want to wear. And it's great to have her on the Politics of Everything to discuss body image. Welcome, Nikki. I'm so excited to be here, Amber. Thank you. Well, you sound like the perfect person to be chatting about (laughs) all of this, but I am curious, did you always want to be in fashion and journalism? What were your early career ambitions and did you end up there? Oh my goodness. Really quite weird. I've actually been thinking about this a lot lately, but I come from a family of teachers on all sides. And so it's often that's, that's what you think about when you're a kid. You go, well, this is all I know. This is what my parents do. So I always had teaching on my radar. And then uh, strangely, the same parents who inspired me to become teachers tried to veer me away from that. I he didn't get a lot of guidance back in the days. We're talking the 80s here. And they, I remember the guidance counsellor going, oh, you're good at English. Why don't you do journalism? And I'm like, oh, okay. I remember those wheels that they used to have in the careers yeah. room at my high school. And it was like, yeah, your interest is this and therefore yeah. these are the things. And there's probably about half a dozen things per skill set. Yeah. It was very narrow. I know. So fashion wasn't something that I ever thought of as a career because I don't think it was ever, I, I wasn't surrounded by people like that. But I've been thinking about to how I used to, I would plan out what I was wearing for the week because it was the 70s in primary school and you didn't have to wear a uniform. So I literally 
with um, I remember my parents just going, why are you laying out all your clothes for the week? They're going to be crushed. They're not hanging up. And I'm going, but I want to know what I'm wearing Monday to Friday. And, and I had a laugh about that because that's how I encourage women to get organized for their weeks now. And I was doing it when I was in primary school. So I think I always had like an obsession with clothes and, and how they make you feel when you put them on. But in terms of career, it was never something I kind of just fell into that and or or championed it. When I was a journalist, I put my hand up to kind of do the fashion writing and then I ended up editing the magazine at the paper I worked at. So I kind of just put myself in that position because I was interested in it. Yeah. Which is often so, the best way to end up in yeah. a career if you follow Correct. your interests and your passions. Yeah. So body image seems to remain something that we all have to manage as individuals, whether we work in the industry that you have or not. How have you viewed the matter and has it changed over the time? Like I know we use more realistic models in shoots and influencers, you know, are on social media trying to seem more diverse for both men and for women. But have things really shifted a lot in your experience or is it just some brands are doing it but most are not? Some brands are doing it, most are not. And I think if we want to unpack it a little bit, particularly women in their 40s, 30s, 40s, 50s, we have got layer upon layer of diet culture underneath everything that we feel about our body. I know very much that was what I was um, surrounded at by growing up. And it's hard to really switch that off. And, and this is why I don't blame the external media all the time. It is something that we kind of grew up with generationally, but I think there's key people and key players now trying to unpack that and and get us to think that we don't have to think negatively about our bodies every second of the day. But it's a work in progress. I say that, you know, you, you really have to flip those thoughts around when you start to have them because it's it's not so much what we're shown, it's what we've kind of been brought up to believe. Absolutely. Look, I think things like the rise of clean eating and lots of the diets like paleo and keto diets, which a lot of people in my atmosphere have been on or still are on, have become accepted as mainstream. And while the goal seems to be this image of health, but weight loss is often at the heart of the marketing of it. So for men and for women, I'm, I'm saying not just for women. And I feel like a lot of men that I have in my life that you know might be in their 40s and 50s are sort of being lured as this as a long-term you know way of life but they almost get that orthorexia which you know is that sense of you know either over exercising or dieting to extreme where you can't stray from it so how can we combat these more diverse predictions of a healthy body when it's not just clothes but other areas I guess of body image which are really fueling these messages of, of what it is to be healthy and and I guess the restrictions that we place on ourselves yeah I think I think what we're seeing in the last years a few years is the diet culture is being presented as the wellness culture but if you start to look at that a little bit deeper it's essentially the same thing when some when you become so focused on one particular style of eating or over exercising then I think that can have the same danger as the calorie counting and the mad diets of the 70s and the 80s, you know, the cabbage diet or 
whatever it was. The, the cabbage soup the, diet, the wasn't cabbage it? Cabbage soup diet. And I remember it was like designed, I think, for people who were going into like surgery. So it was like yeah. that fasting diet that you meant to have so that your whole body was cleansed before they did some sort of major surgery. So, yeah, but it definitely became a lot of my friends did that before their wedding, for example, 15 or 20 years ago. Yeah. So I think I think we've always had those kind of things. They've just got different marketing <laughs> fronts at the moment. And I think that does play on people's body image, how they feel about their own issues. And it's something that I don't, I don't know how we change that. I, I really don't. It, it, they seem to always find a different way to package it because good health obviously is what we all aspire to. But just the way someone looks doesn't necessarily tell the whole picture. Absolutely. Recently, Australian Fashion Week was applauded for improving that cultural diversity aspect of its models, particularly when it comes to representing First Nations people in Australia. However, you were part of a media article recently saying that size diversity was still missing. And I guess my my kind of probing question is, does that really matter? And I know it will to you, but <laughs> generally, does it matter to the industry? And part of me thinks these big events are kind of part fantasy as well as reality to help sell more clothes. And I don't know that everyone wants to see themselves on a, on a runway or do they? I would say yes. And I think the fashion industry as a whole, and I'm talking globally here, needs a wake-up call because all you hear, you don't hear so much about the successes of labels, but you hear about when they dissolve and close down. That's true. And and over the last 10 years, I will guarantee there's a couple of reasons. They haven't jumped on the digital online selling train as quickly, but they've also lost sight of the end game is to sell clothes. So. If you're only going to show your clothes on one particular body shape that is such a represents such a small percentage of people in the world, then you've got this major disconnect between what you're creating and actually getting people to wear it. And yes, there is always that aspirational aspect of the industry, but I feel like they've lost sight of the fact that it can be aspirational and beautiful on a range of different body types. And then this year in Australian Fashion Week, I think they went backwards. I think they had more body diversity two years ago when it was last held. Um, it's almost they've like almost they, traded one piece of diversity yes. for another. Right. Oh, we couldn't have oh, we couldn't have any more than that. And yeah. I just call BS on it because it really uh, it is possible. And and the other thing with Australian Fashion Week and my fellow designer Lena Broughton, Lena Fleur, they had really researched it and a lot of the labels showing, the majority of the labels showing, stopped at a size 12 or 14. Which they, just, is they literally not even the average size people. these days. Yeah, and they don't want – part of that is their branding. They literally don't oh. want people larger than that to be in their clothes. Like they really don't. Well, don't they're really missing out a huge proportion of, of the market. Yeah. Yeah, and 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 that, from a business perspective, yes, they're absolutely doing that. But then, from a personal perspective, if you are above that size, not only are you not seeing yourself in those clothes, you're not wanted by mm. that brand, and that that is that just kill. Like you're trying to do all the work internally for your body image, and then someone on a bigger sphere is telling you that you're not good enough to wear these clothes. 
yeah, it's not. It's definitely not where we're at. I think in twenty twenty one anyway. It's um, yeah, I think so. And it was definitely when I started the blog. So stepping away from journalism and into creating a community around women who were younger than me, older than me. And the biggest thing that they had trouble with was visualizing how something in a magazine or a you know a store campaign image they couldn't imagine that piece on themselves because most people need that visual cue to be able to go oh yeah I'll give that a try because I think that kind of shape works for me but when you are only given one visual cue it is so hard for the majority of people to to kind of then connect themselves with that piece of clothing and that makes sense. I guess beyond size representation, which obviously differentiates your brand, uh, you also have a disability advocate, Lisa Cox, now doing some of your shoots. And I saw some fantastic images when I was preparing today for our podcast. So how does that kind of image reflect society? Because I guess, you know, people with a disability are still a vast minority as opposed to perhaps the size diversity piece where you would have a lot of women who are size 14, 16 and beyond. So is there a risk that it can be seen as tokenistic and a little bit just, you know, and a bit of an attention-seeking exercise? I mean, how do you make it seem authentic in your brand? I mean, do you actually have people with a disability buying your clothes? Was there a call for this? What made you move in this direction? Well, I'll speak to that piece first. Lisa is the best advocate for having more people with disability included in fashion shows and campaigns, she contacted me. She said, hey, there's 20%, that's her stats, of the population has some form of disability. You should be showing that as well. And I'm going, okay, I'm just a startup brand and size diversity was the first thing I needed to do. I wanted to be able to give visual cues for every size that we sell And then I went, yep, that's great. And I said, Lisa, well, now that you've said it, you're going to have to come on board. (laughs) And the same happened with our beautiful Muslim model who who also does campaigns with us, Pfizer. She said, it's a big population, love to be involved. So when people reach out to me, I go, okay, well, let's look at this and how can I make that work? Same with including women of colour. Every step of the way has not been a strategy to be tokenistic or to be seen as tokenistic. It's actually been to be inclusive. And I've learned from the women who I've incorporated into my campaigns just how important and amazing that is for their wider community to to be seen like this. And you can get accused of being tokenistic But where does it start if you don't start by having an overall strategy of inclusion? Where where do you, how do you make that? You can't make the changes unless I guess someone does it, right? You've got to start. Yeah. You've got to start. And so when when I started, I definitely wanted the six models. We're going to eight sizes in August. So we'll have models from size six to 20. But I wanted the, I wanted those size models covered off, so people could literally pull out their tape measure and match measurements to the models, see the different heights, and then I want how can I? Because obviously we're startup business, so that's a huge cost. How can I then grow that diversity piece even more? Because as a core value of my own personally and our business, we want to be leading that way 
and show the bigger brands that it doesn't have to be tokenistic. It can just be part of the DNA. Fantastic. Well, well done. And I'm sure there's lots more, lots more in your strategy, which has yet to unfold. So we'll have to watch this space. Changing tack a little bit, social media has obviously uh, risen in our careers. It wasn't always in our careers in the early days. I'm, I'm a little bit younger than you, but, you know, definitely when I started off as a journalist, it was, um, I think we just had the World Wide Web and lots of fax machines. And <laughs> that was my newsroom. Um, and a computer I think I shared with somebody. I, we didn't even all have desktop computers no. of our own. <laughs> No. <laughs> like a phone, a phone and a notepad. I think that was my weapon. Um, but a desk yeah. phone too, not even a mobile phone. But social media in some ways, look, it has expanded the opportunity for lots of people to become influencers and I guess writers and bloggers and so forth. But has it helped or hindered our body image battle? And we have talked a little bit about some of the wellness industry kind of imagery which gets projected as healthy and might not always be. But I recall those glossy magazines of the 80s, 90s and 2000s. All the models got thinner and thinner each season. And there was some backlash at the time that I recall. But there wasn't enough to spark loads of change, at least for many years. You know, the clothes still sold, the magazine still ran the shots with, you know, the skinniest person on the cover and the top-end fashion houses still had those models for many years, often with the ribs and the hips sticking out and the jaw bones and so forth. Do you think social media has allowed that to sort of just be blown up or is it because magazines don't really exist anymore? I mean, how, how do you view that well, in terms of body image? It's a chicken and egg, isn't it? Because... The rise of social media and the internet accessing information differently kind of happened at the same time as magazines were were declining. I think contributing to that was that they lost sight of who the reader was but also had a head-in-the-sand attitude as to the rise of digital because some of these magazines could have really been on board with digital in the early days instead of thinking it was going to go away. But in terms of the body image visuals that we get out there, it is just as bad. It can be just as bad. What you can do, though, and what I suggest people do to help their own body image is to curate their Instagram feed so that they're only following people who sit well with them. Now, whether it is whatever you're following people for, whether it, if it is fashion, Maybe you want people who have your same style, who are similar in shape to you. You can curate that rather than have a feed full of images that might be triggering personally to you. So you have more control. So there's more yeah. power in our hands yeah. really, isn't there? It's just up to us to have that discipline, yeah. I and, suppose, and sometimes. And make it a tool in, in helping you with that daily body image cycle of negative self-talk, just have have a feed full of inspirational people and that's not just to do with the body it's to do with the mind as well it's all very linked so I'm always a big believer that most people have got to where they have in their business and career because they've had some great mentors are there one or two that have stuck out for you and what have they taught you about life business and success yeah so I'm interesting question so you can have a mentor who's never known that they're a mentor and kind of watch their career from afar. And I would say that Mia Friedman has been one of those for me in terms of she was mainstream media with magazines and she was one of the few magazine editors who dared to have a different size model on the cover and in the pages of the magazine. And I remember reading and seeing that when I, I was just – 
would absorb. The magazine subscriptions I used to have was just ridiculous. And that was really good. And so watching her career trajectory when she moved over to digital and blogging and then obviously the juggernaut of a media stable she's made, created today with her husband, that has been inspirational to watch because it is always, my whole career, it's always been about being nimble, being ready to pivot, to adapt, to embrace new technology as you as you said about your tools as a journalist there is a photo of me on my first week on the job it was in the paper this is this is what news constituted back in the day I think I did win an award at uni so it was legit but I've literally got one of those desktop phones in my ear very lots of 80s hairspray and a manual typewriter so you just that was the start of my working career and the technological changes you just have to have the mindset of being able to adapt to that and that is something I saw and continue to see in what Mia does in the day-to-day business mentoring things because I was a journalist until 13 years ago I interviewed businesswomen I didn't know how to run a business that oh typical like, journalist okay. story our, our sex journals aren't always the best business people let's be honest not initially anyway no. we have to really learn no. and it's ironic too because I used to be a business editor and a business writer you know globally <laughs> but yeah yeah I could read a P&L sheet but didn't necessarily yeah. know how to run my own <laughs> no so it, it's quite I mean that naivety I I, I, I think was good because if I had had this whole business brain and this concrete business plan, like I've created one in 2008, I would not be doing what I'm doing today because that was the cusp of social media just unfolding and exploding. And if you were kind of rigid in how you thought that business should look, you would have missed the opportunities. But I think what does help you as a journalist is that you research. <laughs> and when you didn't have Google at the start of your career, but you do have it in your second career. Amazing. You make that work. <laughs> you do make that work. So when from 2008, I just, it's being connected and surrounded with other like-minded business women, whether that's online or in real life. I've found that 99% of the women in business that I've had associations with are willing to share and I'm I'm a sharer too so that that uh, there's not one mentor in that one but there's a whole series of amazing women doing incredibly different things in business that I have learned from but I've also been able to help them in different ways as well and that is one of the most rewarding things about having your own business. If you could choose a favourite book, song or film, what would it be and why? And I, I always am either really surprised or not surprised how people answer this because sometimes people who are very serious and very corporate will choose a hard rock song or, you know, a Taylor Swift song. And, yeah, I'm just always curious. So what would you share today on that? Well, it was my birthday recently, so I'm going to go with a song because I tell you what, until you until – you, can't dance which was the situation for most of us last year there is nothing like getting up and having a good old boogie as the as we used to say back in the 80s and I had a a friend of mine who's a DJ he just put together this amazing set for the party and it was like he was in my head and 
this is a bit random and some people mightn't remember the song, but Black Box's Right on Time came on. Oh, yes. And, <laughs> and it was like I was transported back to my early 20s. Just n- nothing had really unfolded in my career, but I was just having a great time. And that is the power of music, isn't it? That nostalgia can just click right in and that feeling of freedom. So I'm not going serious here. I could have I could have rattled off a few business books, but no. So <laughs> I'm going with there's nothing like the escape of having a bit of a dance, a bit of a boogie. Absolutely. I think songs from our youth particularly, which yes. my kids are slightly horrified <laughs> by when I put on the radio. <laughs> I know. (laughs) So what would be your final takeaway message for anyone navigating the politics of body image? I think my final takeaway message is don't give up. Realise that it is for most people, even the people who seem to be the most positive and, and carefree about their bodies, don't give up on how you can change the way you feel slowly but surely and I have a little mental exercise that I suggest that people do and it's almost like imagining a rubber band and flicking it every time you're saying something internally particularly when you look in the mirror that you would never say to someone else and I think that's where you need to kind of break the circuit and pull yourself up on a lot of people would give everything to be able to have your legs that you might like how they look today. A lot of people would love to have the wrinkles on your face because they never got to live to that be that age. It's just reframing how we think about ourselves because that's where the power comes. We can make all the changes and switch off to any external stimuli but unless we change how we feel about ourselves, then it's it's never going to work. Great advice. If you do want to connect further with Nikki Parkinson, there are some details on my show notes. You've been listening to The Politics of Everything. Until next time, keep well. Thanks so much for listening today. If you've enjoyed The Politics of Everything, I thrive on your feedback. So please add a short review and share the podcast with your network through Apple, Spotify and all the usual suspects. I'm always on the hunt for new and diverse guests so if you or someone you know has a fresh idea you're busting to get out there please email me at amber at amberdanes.com and my crew will get back to you very soon.